Welcome to Scale Up Soundbites, where we discuss bite-sized ideas to help you scale up your team and scale up your career. Today, I'm joined with Dave Bolton, who is CTO, uh, who has been CTO or Head of Technology of Head of Engineering for many well-known Australian brands such as Westfield, News Corp, ING, Woolies X, and most recently, Domain. Dave's here today to give us some insight into what it takes to become a CTO and more specifically, the level of business acumen needed to get these positions. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sam. Uh, we're just reminiscing, we've known each other for well over a decade now, I think from uh, one of those earlier brands and uh, uh, great to be on this uh, show and it's been an idea of yours for many years. Mate, time flies, I tell you what, it is, um, yeah, it has been uh, 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 an innings, I would say. <laughs> um, all right, cool, let's go back. Why did you choose to become a CTO? Uh, well, I think, you know, first thing, I didn't choose that necessarily. I might almost say it chose me. Uh, so I um, wouldn't have said that I started my career with the goal of, hey, I want to be a chief technology officer. In fact, I probably wasn't even aware of that as a title or a potential ambition. I just, I was an engineer. I just wanted to be good at my job. I was uh, very keen on learning as much as I could. Uh, and, you know, technology excited me. So... Uh, over time, what happened, and I think this would be a reasonably common story for people, is that um, I would end up in leadership positions, uh, not intentionally, at least in the first half of my career, it wasn't intentional. It was just, hey, Dave seems to be you know, a natural leader of some sort, or Dave is um, just falling into that position, and so now he's going to be a team leader. Uh, and you know, over and over until at some point um, I realised, it was in fact it was when I was at Westfield and I, I got on the Westfield uh, management track, uh, which was full of the, I guess, leasing and construction uh, executives and they, they'd you know, put uh, a technologist in there too. And I realised, uh, and technology as an industry hasn't done a good job of developing leaders over time. I think it has been a lot of accidental leadership. So th through sitting with those people, I realized, oh, leadership is actually something that you can work very hard at and get better at. It's not just something, oh, well, you're a natural leader or you're not. Uh, it's something that you can read the books about. You can learn uh, from people who've done all this stuff before and you can get good at it. So when I started becoming a bit more intentional about it, then I thought, okay, well, I've, I've got this capability. Uh, I think I can do some of the jobs that are available pretty well. Um, and uh, that just sort of, I guess, snowballs into, into other things and you get the opportunities. But it wasn't initially ever a plan, oh, I'm, you know, I'm gonna do this or this is my goal. It's more wanting to be good at your job, taking opportunities as they come up, and then um, uh, through that, that combination of things, you get some good uh, chances to, to practice what you, your craft, I guess. Yeah, right. So there's a bit of luck associated in your A lot of luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been incredibly lucky in my career. Yeah, oh, how good. Okay, okay. Well, back to specifically around the, the topic that we're trying to discuss here around commercial skills and experience. What do you believe are specific commercial skills necessary uh, for or to a, be a successful CTO and how have you developed these skills in your own career? Uh, so the it's important when you're in a, a, a leadership, a senior technology leadership job, particularly if you're in the executive team and you represent the whole function, to be able to um, uh, be part of the discussion about the business. So I say a key factor of these roles is 
Um, technologists need to see themselves as business leaders in these senior roles. I'm a business leader who happens to have a technology background. Yep. Not just, hey, I'm in technology and I'll, I will talk about, I'll sit around some business people and try and figure out what they're saying. And I think that's a really critical distinction because when you think about yourself as a business leader, then you realise, oh, well, I have to understand this stuff. I might have to acquire skills that I didn't have before. Now, how did that happen for me? I guess this is probably one of the um, fortunate uh, accidental things is that when I went to university, I studied part computer science and part business subjects. Yep. Uh, I've always had a fascination with uh, with business. Uh, I did an MBA in sort of my, you know, it took me a while, but you know, in my mid-20s uh, through to uh, early 30s. And so um, that interest and curiosity about business, that um, learning skills, uh, and then just paying a lot of attention in uh, the organisations I was in, gave me a baseline where I can say, hey, I've got great commercial acumen. Uh, and let me tell you that that is something that non-technology leaders are looking for. They want to work with people who've got that commercial acumen, uh, who can have that uh, strategic uh, business-led discussion and be part of um, how we're going to create a, a great business or what do we have to do to, to win here, um, where part of the answer might be technology, but actually understanding how to apply technology to business problems is a, is a bigger uh, benefit to the organisation. So uh, for me, it came about through, again, somewhat unintentional. It was more through curiosity and, um, uh, again, taking opportunities to, to learn or, or um, you know, exploring the, the MBA. I didn't, certainly didn't do an MBA thinking, oh, well, this is going to get me this job in the future. I did it because... Um, kind of because it was just there and because I have an interest in business and I thought, oh, this might be useful. Uh, so that's how it happened for me. But there's lots of different ways to get there. Yep. Um, in terms of specific skills, which is something you ask about, uh, and I've done this with lots of teams in the past, you need to be able to understand a, a profit and loss statement, uh, you know, balance sheet. And th these are things that, you know, we can talk about how you acquire these skills, but um, simple uh uh, but really critical things of well, how you're measuring a business. So any public company, uh, you can go and look at their their P and L and their balance sheet. It's part of their annual report. Yeah. And that's the first thing I say to people is if you want to uh, acquire some of these skills that are going to be useful for your future career, spend time doing that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. So those skills, so understanding a profit loss statement, a balance sheet. Um, they sound like they're available for free. You don't need to study an MBA. You don't need to have a you know background in um, business or management studies. You can actually access that information and just read it up yourself. Yeah, you can access the information. You can you can certainly read it. Uh, look, if you if you grab ten annual reports for ten Australian companies and looked at the numbers, you would go, okay, I don't know what to do with these. Yeah. But even just by comparing the scale of the numbers, you know, this company's talking about billions of dollars of assets, but this company seems to have less assets. Why is that? And I think if, you, if you've if you got a curiosity about things like that, yeah. um, you can start asking good questions. And I think by itself, you you might struggle just with the, you know, getting those annual reports. But um, the, the curiosity to, to say, why? You know, why are the ratios between assets and liabilities for across these companies different that'll lead to good questions that'll well how, how would yeah. i find that out okay i might have to go and do some research yeah. uh and the i mean the other great source for for getting commercial acumen is and probably the best source is the company you're in right now mm. uh, okay. and you know for me 
going, if you're an engineer and you go and talk to, say, someone in the sales team and say, hey, I want to know more about how we make money, you'll, you'll have an audience. Salespeople love to talk. Uh, they'll, they'll probably be very happy that you're interested in how the business runs. Uh, so that's probably the first port of call is, do I really understand how my current business runs, uh, how we make money? You know, what success looks like, what, what our current trajectory is. Very easy questions to have. You can have a coffee with someone in the organisation and they'll explain it to you. Fantastic. Okay, so that's actually probably a great first step for people who are in tech roles. And you don't even have to be in a leadership role there. Mm. You can just be in a software engineering degree or, sorry, in a software engineering role or development role and just want to understand more about the business and how it operates, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the... The, um, you know, got to be, sometimes you can be a little bit cursed by a little bit of knowledge. Um, you know, I think the idea of, well, I'll understand the, how the business works. I'll stay curious and humble about the knowledge that I'm acquiring uh, because uh, I think if there's one thing that's that's been um, a hallmark of technology over the last 10 years, it's almost the hubris of technologists to think they can solve any problem with technology. And so I think it's you've got to be a little bit careful to, just, to, to stay um, humble while you're acquiring this knowledge. But just... Yeah, a mindset of curiosity, asking people, trying to understand how we make money, what are the critical um, uh, factors to to our success would stand you in good stead. Yeah, okay, cool. And it sounded like, I mean, you've, you've used the word accidental and, and curious is coming up a lot in, in what you're speaking here. And it sounds like that curiosity is often sort of like run in the background through your studies and your career. So doing the split between business and tech in your studies and then the curiosity of the, the MBA side of things. Um, I guess with your opinion, um, oh, let's move on to the next question. Um, how, how does that, so if you weren't to go do a MBA, um, but let's say you started to also, you know, have these conversations with your current company, what other things can you do outside of that? that could help you sort yeah, of Yeah, well, let's address the – good question. We'll, uh, we'll address the MBA thing first because yep. I get asked about it a lot by technologists. Hey, Dave, you've got an MBA. Do I need to have an MBA to be successful in my career? And the answer to that is absolutely not. I I did this when I, – I had no applicability for the things I was learning. I was just curious about it, to your point. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, the honest truth is I've probably forgotten most of the stuff that I would have <laughs> learned at that point. I wrote a bunch of essays. I learned about some subjects that were um, somewhat interesting but actually not necessarily that useful for a technology career. So um, – uh, like the you know the mechanics of what I was doing at that time. One of my first subjects was project management. Right now, as an MBA, that could be useful. But guess what? In um, uh, software development, we've been using Agile uh, for a long time, very successfully. And so a lot of the stuff I learned just didn't didn't make sense. It wasn't useful. It might be useful if you're building a building or a bridge or something like that, but it just wasn't that useful. So don't need to do an MBA. Um, it was more a um, myself for my curiosity about business and you know I did get some stuff out of it maybe more in the strategic thinking than just you know pure commercial acumen um, but there is an indicator there of you know something now if you're not going to do that and you don't need to um, what are the other uh, sources of this stuff um, I'd say read the business pages of, of the newspaper just look at what's happening uh uh, in the economy generally, um, because say you know we've got very interesting economic circumstances at the moment. Uh, inflation's high, interest rates are high, and so companies are challenged in a whole bunch of ways. And we've seen that with uh, tech layoffs and you know, layoffs uh, generally. Um, well, why why is that? 
we've still got a whole bunch of very profitable tech companies. You know, Facebook is laying off people, but it's not like they're suddenly uh, not making money out of uh, ads, similarly with Google and whatnot. So what are they doing? Why are they, you know, that curiosity around, well, what's happening in the economy right now? How might that affect my company? What might that mean for the tech industry? I think that um, uh, the, you can learn a lot about business by exploring those avenues as well. Uh, and you know, I, I come back to that that um, evergreen question of how do we or how do other companies make money? So you know, interesting questions that might come off that are okay. Well, we make money in this way. What's our margin? Mm-hmm. Right. Like I think these these sort of um, uh, perspectives where you go, okay, we we happen to make money in the, the billions, but we've got a very low margin. Yep. That might mean, okay, well, well, that will mean the profitability will be a lower proportion of overall rev- revenue. A lot of digital companies, and so say when I worked at Woolworths, that was a, a factor. You're selling physical goods and the margin's very low. So, you know, a multi-billion dollar e-commerce company deals with a lot of physical product. Uh, it deals with um, a lot of transactions but the ultimate um, profitability is relatively low. It's st- but because you've got such a, a large uh, number you start with, it's still a very um, uh, good business to be in. Um, whereas in a lot of digital uh, product type organisations, uh, the margin can be much higher because you're selling a digital product. So you know Google will have great margin on it. Has to invest a lot in infrastructure and whatnot, but it'll have great margin on its advertising because what does it cost to sell one more ad? Basically nothing. Yeah. Uh, so understanding those sort of levers and mechanics uh, is is a great way just to build that understanding of um, uh, your current business and and heighten your level of commercial acumen. Yeah, yeah. And I think I remember when you're sorry when you're talking about things that especially in tech companies that are of scale when you're talking about that productability. I remember I used to work for a um, uh, pretty advanced company when I first started before I got into recruitment and. For me, being a salesperson for them, it got me thinking. Was like, yeah, when you said one more sale, um, the the price that I sold the product on didn't really change. So, if I sold it to one person, or if I sold it to a hundred, it was mm. still the same price. So the the profitability that they would have made on that hundredth sale yes. would have been so much more than that yeah. first sale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, how do you measure success of your technology initiatives um, that you've implemented for the companies you've worked for, and is it necessarily the same or different to how the company would measure it? Uh, it's a good question. So you mentioned technology initiatives implemented. I actually look at technology in an organisation is um, you will have technology assets uh, and initiatives are things that will generally improve the asset or add to the asset in some way. Um, a really important job for a, a CTO is to understand, well, what are our assets? Are they um, fit for purpose? So are they the right sort of asset? Are they working well? Do they operate well? Uh, and thinking about the, the asset base and its suitability is the, one of the chief jobs of a um, uh, technology executive. But it might be a little bit different to how other people in the organisation see technology. For them, technology is sort of a means to an end to get another sale or something like that. So they may not think about the asset so much and you know it's the executive's job to represent that asset and to to talk about it but they may not think about it as much and that's natural it's their their job they may be thinking more about their 
the incremental aspects of that asset. So if we add this new feature, I can get that extra sale. Mm -hmm. So for them, an, an initiative might be a more, um, uh, have a higher currency than, hey, we've got this asset, we've had it for five years, 10 years, 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, they may not be thinking about that because it just exists. So the executive needs to be thinking about the asset uh, while other people may um, think about the initiative and measure success on that. Um, for me, uh, when I think about that asset and you know, measuring success, firstly, is it fit for purpose? Uh, and you know, one analogy that I've come up with to, to talk and think about this is, you know, if we've got a hotel, it could be the best built hotel in the world. It could be very, very good. But if it's built for ski conditions, you know, it's got a, I don't know much about skiing, but it's got <laughs> like a snow room and that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's no good if you put it down on Bondi Beach because there's no snow around there. Fair. So yep. having an asset that is very good and technologists, you know, we, we like, um, we, we love our craft. We want to build things things, but they've got to be appropriate for the problem at hand. So mm -hmm. building the world's best ski resort next to Bondi Beach might be have all sorts of elegant solutions. It might have the best um, snow room and um, I don't know, sauna and, and all those sorts of things. But if they're not needed for that problem space, then it's actually not a good asset. Uh, that's a, So understanding what your assets are, are they the right sort of assets? Then do they operate well? Right. You know, is our ho uh, hotel, it might be physically very uh, good, yep. but if the staff are, are terrible at their jobs, uh, if they keep upsetting the, the, the customers, then it's not run very well. And mm -hmm. that's, uh, again, you know, the ski resort next to Bondi Beach might have great staff. And so maybe people enjoy going <laughs> to it just for the novelty of <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, but so we're thinking about those, those things are very important. Now, a, the company may go, okay, assume we've got the, the right asset, um, for, for what we're trying to do, it's, it's run pretty well, then they're probably going to be thinking more in that incremental sense of, okay, well, how do we add something else to what this asset does? Yep. So for instance, uh, you know, we, we're serving all of our hotel customers breakfast, maybe we should open this up for lunch. Mm -hmm. and so again, the success for them might be more um, uh, targeted than, uh, than looking at the whole asset. But the technologist and particularly the executive uh, level people need to be thinking about, okay, is the asset working? Yeah. Is it the right asset? Is it well run? And then the incremental things, the initiatives that you, that you mentioned before, for me, come after that. Yeah, okay, cool. So like the day-to-day -day processes, um, whether it's the right asset that you have, so the right products that you have, and could that relate back to actual, the technology you're using to build these assets? Or does that go back to the... Um, uh, I guess the way it's sort of run. Uh, yeah, look, the, the technology choices, you know, we know technology choices over time, things get out of date. Yeah, of course. Uh, and um, the, you know, I think if you were to be, have been building something in the last 10 years, you'll probably have somewhat of a, a sense of how are we going to evolve this architecture or how are we going to mm. evolve this technology as times change? If you've got something from um, uh, earlier times, that can be hard. You might have to um, completely rebuild something. But um, uh, yeah, technology choices are important. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, as a CTO or, um, you know, at that head of engineering sort of space, head of technology, how do you balance that need for innovation and experimentation when, you know, in an ever-changing technology market to, I guess, the other side of what we're talking about, the commercial need, the ability to like manage costs um, or that end bottom line mm. to deliver the value to, you know, shareholders of like companies like Woolies and, and like these huge companies. 
Yeah, it, that, that's that's a, a great question, uh, and it's um, it's important because different companies have different tones, uh, okay. and what I mean by the tone is the so you know I've said this about Woolies in the past. Um, it's a very successful supermarket uh, uh, chain been around for about 100 years, and they're very good at running supermarkets. Uh, and that's a very operational concern. So if you can't operate that well, people don't eat. And mm-hmm. I call it the the milk in the fridge and bread on the shelf problem, that um, if there is not milk in the fridge when you walk in or there's not bread on the shelf, then that's a problem for the, for the company. And how do they make that work? Well, there's a lot of um, robust conversation that happens behind scenes. If you know the delivery trucks aren't delivering stuff on time, it's it's a rigorous company in that sense, and that sort of tone isn't really that conducive to innovation. Yeah, uh, because and you know I'm not say not say that Woolies doesn't innovate. They've done some really cool stuff and um, uh, are world leading in that sector in in a whole bunch of ways. But it makes it harder because the tone is quite operational. It's keeping the milk in the fridge and the bread on the shelf. Um, whereas there's other uh, organisations where um, I guess innovation, you know, it's less of a the, the tone is different and maybe you know, perhaps more um, uh, open to um, innovation as just a way of working. Uh, and so anyway, I, I always start with well, what's the tone of the organisation we're working in? What is and again, this goes back to commercial acumen, understanding yeah. what are our constraints? You know, are we a uh, highly uh, high margin, highly profitable organization that might want to, um, and you know, when you're high, highly profitable, you'll attract competition. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it's very hard to maintain yeah. that, that, that level of profitability forever because yeah. other people want a, a slice of it, which mm-hmm. means you need to keep innovating. Mm-hmm. So taking some of those profits and going, okay, well, we're going to do some, some really interesting things. And I think if you were to look at an organization that I worked at, like um, uh, Westfield, which is now known as uh, Center Group, um, yeah, very well run uh, uh, company, probably the, the best at running um, shopping malls, certainly I would say in Australia, but uh, yeah. uh, one of the best uh, globally. Uh, and they you know, focused on, well, how do we make our malls a great experience? And you know, for, for technologists who work there, we got to look at some really interesting things mm-hmm. about how technology could make that a really good experience because you know, malls over time have evolved from just a place to go to, well, it's it's a leisure experience, and mm-hmm. so it competes with other things like going to the beach. Yeah. Um, so uh, the tone of the company, the the uh, sector, the level of profitability and ability to reinvest, uh, all the foundations for what sort of innovation is appropriate. Uh, then on top of that, which is your your question, how do you manage to to balance those yeah. things? Is well, firstly, um, the balance uh, knowing those foundational things is really important because if you go into a company that is has to be um, uh, very operational because of the the margins in the business or some other um, uh, imperative. Then going in there and going, hey, we're going to innovate this and we're going to put eighty percent of our effort in innovation might not fly. And in fact, you 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 probably um, lose credibility about your commercial acumen if you're suggesting the wrong thing in the wrong uh, space. Um, so uh, understanding what might be uh, acceptable, maybe we're putting 10% of our time into to innovation because that suits the company. Or maybe we've got a, a company where 30% is more appropriate because we need to be innovating or else we'll lose customers. Uh, that, that, that's very important uh, in the, the balance sense. Mm-hmm. Now, 
to actually do innovation is probably a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. But I like uh, Eric Smith, the the uh, ex um, uh, CEO of Google, you know, talking about yeah. controlled chaos. You know, how do you have just enough um, control over all the things that are happening, um, so that you can guide that innovation in a, in an appropriate way? But um, you do need to start with that. Okay, what's the appropriate balance for our organisation for our uh, business context, which comes back to commercial acumen again. Yeah, okay, cool. So, and when you're, so yeah, I like that reference to uh, the controlled chaos, um, uh, I guess, theories or mm. I don't know what you call it, but um, uh, processes, sorry. And yeah, I think that when you are innovating, there's going to be chaos, right? There's You, you don't know what's going to happen over that. So if you have that element of what, what you've kind of got to let go of things that might go wrong and things, and it's going to cost a bit of money to innovate, but, you know, the, the risk versus reward type of thing is probably going to be the, the Yeah, look, thing. there's a, a model that I think lots of companies struggle with, which is do we innovate in what we do every day or do we innovate as somewhat of a slightly separate thing and so set up an innovation team yep. or, or, or whatnot? And um, it's hard to have a, uh, a blueprint and say, well, the right way to do it is because, mm-hmm. again, it depends on the, the organisation. Sometimes just having that constant innovation in the team uh, often is that can be really valuable. But sometimes innovation is um, so important that you have to set it up somewhat separately because it won't exist in every day. And look, Woolies is a great example. Woolworths Group... Um, probably would have struggled to do what Woolies X was successful doing yeah. because of the milk in the fridge and bread on the shelf problem. So setting up Woolies X, and um, we'd begun that in 2017, um, you know, it started with not just a couple of people. It was you know, had quite a, a, a um, gravity to attach to it uh, on the very first day, but had to do things that were different that Woolworths had never done, like online e-commerce. So they had been doing that, but had to do it at a... a uh, I guess you'd say more innovative level than it had been done in the past. Mm. Um, uh, was it, it needed to be a bit separate, or it would be swamped by the enormity of Woolworths as an organisation? So um, that's part of that that sort of balance question is well, actually, how are you going to organise to do it? Let alone you know proportionally what amount of your effort is going to go into innovation. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So really, but look, just... there's other other organisations we're just making that you know, and and I encourage um, engineers, you know, even the most junior engineer. Hey, if you've got ideas, you know, talk about them. Uh, if you've got the chance, prototype something because um, very good ideas. And we know this is why yeah. organisations run hackathons and things like that can come from any any part of the organisation. Now, to your point, there's a whole bunch of them that aren't going to be successful. Yeah. In fact, most of them won't. Um, 99 out of 100 um, won't be. Right. Um, but uh, celebrating the, the little efforts, uh, you know, teaching people the resilience that just because um, your idea doesn't have traction doesn't mean you should stop having ideas. Yeah. Y- yes, you're in love with this idea. You might think it's great, but... Hey, there's this commercial reason it's not going to work, and mm. you know that that is that is a risk of, you know with many engineers. Great idea, but it just won't work. And it's yep. not because of, of frailty of the idea; it's just not the right idea for the business context mm-hmm. or, or something like that. Um, and teaching people resilience to go, okay, cool, I'm going to still keep having ideas. Yep. I think that's important as well. And that goes back to just understanding the commercial acumen as well. Probably like to to develop that resilience. If you have that understanding of commercial acumen. You could probably take that hit to, to my ego if I had an idea that I thought was going to change the world, but then really understood the business and why it wasn't mm. going to fit for that purpose. I'd be like, okay, cool, great idea. I can move on and yeah, look, it's a, I, I mean, I think uh, as an engineer or a technologist, regardless of your career aspirations, um, 
there's good stuff to, and we'll go back to the idea of curiosity, to That's be it, curiosity, yeah. uh, to be curious about, you know, having ideas and then understanding um, how they might live in the real world is, uh, or, or being educated on that by people who've got different experiences do can be really valuable. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're in a startup uh, these days there, or trying to launch a startup, I can't tell you the number of good ideas that I've seen where there is technology that is elegant mm-hmm. uh, and well created, but um, the people haven't necessarily thought about go to market. Yes. They haven't thought about, okay, how are we going to convince people to use our product? Mm-hmm. Um, product can be great, but if you can't convince people to use it or can't convince people to change their behavior, then it's to, you know, to what's the purpose of it? Like, what, what, what's the impact going to be? And so whether you're in a big company and you say, hey, I've got this technology thing and it's excellent, well, it's got to fit into the real world. You know, if people have to change their behavior significantly or, um, uh, you know, there's not an understanding of how we might take this to market, then it doesn't matter that it's good technology. And I think over time, people do build up, you know, the resilience and the understanding of, oh, it's not just about, an elegant technology solution there's more to it yeah but that can be important mate that sounds like s- such good advice um and i think we've got some really good things from what you've just discussed there and i think yeah that, that whole thing about just staying curious um and then finding things using what you've got like in the company that you're in to develop an understanding and the people around you i think that's going to you know if you're a developer even at you know just beginning your career that's going to do wonders for your own sort of personal brand in the business and um, working your way up as well and get yourself noticed. Um, and I think I like it was like that. Old, uh, it was Steve Jobs. He did the stay curious, stay humble. He's, and he stole right. that. From, and he stole that from um, a magazine that he saw on that uh, that he used to read. Oh, was that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Stay curious, stay humble. It's um, pretty big. That's how he sort of. Um, that was like one of his closing speeches, I think, for um, Apple. I can't remember, but he stole that from. A, it was a photography magazine that went out of business. And on oh. their last thing, it was stay curious, stay humble. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, you yeah. You didn't know that? No. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's great. It's great. And I think um, for all people, but man, I've had so much, a bit of, I've had so much fun listening to this and uh, it's been great. So thank you so much. I think there's a lot to unpack and a lot for people to sort of take on board. Terrific. Thanks, Sam. I love talking about this sort of stuff. And I think uh, that, you know, that element that just kept coming up around curiosity is, uh, is a great thing to, to nurture in uh, people's career. I found it fascinating as well, just um, uh, that you, you didn't have this goal of being a CTO. It was just kind of happened. So, you know, it's, I think like for a lot of people out there, that's um, if they are genuinely just curious about the business or about themselves even about how things sort of intertwine together that things can sort of happen for you along the way mm. yeah look i've based my career and i like we started out i've been incredibly lucky and yeah. i feel uh, i feel privileged and I, I i thank my lucky stars every day uh <laughs> you know we, i think anyone who works in technology probably should feel pretty lucky because yeah. it's great that we get to use our brains and uh exercise our uh, creativity um uh, constantly uh, and it's it stood me uh, it's it stood me uh, really well just to 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 be curious and to take opportunities when they come up and to to learn about things that are happening around me. Uh, just keeping my eyes open has been has been wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. All right, mate. Thanks very much. Terrific. Thanks, Sam. Cheers.